This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, Stephen here. Welcome to a brand new week. It is Monday, it's the 6th of February 2023. Coming up, we're going to be talking all about the UK's online safety bill making its way through Parliament and discussing its international implications. You're listening to Double Time, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. That's me. Hello, how are you today? Hope you had a nice weekend. Hope you enjoyed whatever you got up to. I did very little this weekend, apart from field emails about problems with the podcast. I know, I know, I know. I know, I know, okay? I know. <laughs> Listen, I love the fact that you think I do this. I think you are amazing that you think they let me anywhere near the controls of this thing. Honestly, it's amazing this show even gets on air, never mind anything else, uh, when I'm involved. Uh, but no, unfortunately, it was a bit of a, a blip in the system this weekend. I actually think, if I am honest, I think it's Sean Priest's fault. I think he's bored, and I think he's managing to find his way into our systems here at AMI and uh, infiltrate them. There's been a few things going on. Because like, I don't know if you, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that at the weekend, I had this weird situation happen where all of a sudden, a theme tune for a popular British TV programme, uh, ch- children's programme called Postman Pat. I don't know if you get that in Canada, but uh, Postman Pat, which has loved the UK over, <laughs> it was playing out of my downstairs Echo, just randomly. My Amazon Echo was playing Postman Pat, and I thought my wife had maybe accidentally triggered something. I don't know what had happened, but no, she said she had nothing to do with it. So someone suggested on Twitter that perhaps Sean was getting bored, and then I think about the problem with the podcast at the weekend, and then I think, hmm, something's going on, and I think it's Sean Priest-shaped. And you know what? Even if it's not, let's just blame him anyway, because he's not here doing anything, so he may as well be blamed for something. Uh, But yes, I do apologise. If you missed the episode on Friday, it should appear in your feed because it has all been fixed so if you can refresh your podcast player and I know on the Victor Reader for some of you that might be a bit more challenging I'm not entirely sure how you do that but maybe if you keep checking back it should hopefully update itself and uh, you'll get the latest updates you'll get the Friday episode which of course was our Humanware uh, update episode which was very interesting quite enlightening as well Uh, and then on Saturday of course we had the HomePod episode which some of you got twice so good we played it twice um, but yeah, the, the interesting story that came out of the Humanware interview, of course, the big news, the, uh, as I call it, breaking news, that's the one, breaking news, is that, um, it's been a while, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's nice to have another voice on here, isn't it? Um, but yeah, the, the big news, of course, is that the Audible issue has been resolved, or at least it appears to have been resolved. So people who are concerned about the Victor Reader lineup not being able to be authenticated by the Audible Sync application, meaning that you can put your Audible books onto the Victor Reader, that does seem now to have been resolved. Last week, there were reports coming in. People were now able to once again re-authenticate with Audible. Now, Audible and Humanware, as we heard from uh, Matteo Paquette on the show, uh, he said himself, he said, look, you know, the, the truth is Audible don't really speak to us. And, and this is often the case with these big companies. There's so many people involved you don't often get a direct response. Even the tech companies like Humanware, they don't get the kind of response. So, you know, I don't know if that makes you feel any better when you don't get a response from a tech company, but even the big boys don't get a response. Um, so, interesting. But yes, so the good news is, uh, and that is certainly a big takeaway, that the uh, device will support Audible books again. Uh, and it was interesting because they said that on one, I think it was on a French website, 
uh, for Audible. It actually had listed the Victor Reader Stream third generation as an approved and supported product for Audible. And I think this was just before launch as well. So, hmm. Anyway, uh, it's coming soon. Uh, lots of you are interested about it, of course. Lots of you getting in touch. Darren is particularly excited to hear the news. Hello, this is Darren Flat from Bexley. Um, I enjoyed the stream uh, article that you did and uh, the Jeff Rowe generation. And if they put the R&RB on, then it's a big, big possibility that I might buy one. Although, I think, I can't remember what it was you that said there was going to be another product from Hims. Yes. Similar product, but with OCR as well. I can't remember what you said it was called, if it was you. If that's the case, then that would be a good article to do as well. It would be interesting to see whether the R&RB get on there, um, what the differences will be, what ports it's got, all the ins and outs of that one as well, if it actually is going to exist. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, then you could decide on which one to buy. Just because you've got the Stream 2 doesn't necessarily mean if the HIMS product is going to do the same, if not more, than the Stream 3, then it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to buy the Stream 3 if the HIMS one will do the same job with OCR and yet have the same features. So the more info we've got before we make a choice, the better. Yeah. And thank you very much, Stephen, and everyone. Speak soon. Bye. Well, thank you, Darren. I appreciate that. And yes, I get it. Uh, the more information, the better. We've actually reached out to HIMS to come on and tell us all about their new device. It is called the Sense Player, all one word, Sense Player, S-E-N-S-E -S -E Player. There are two versions, as far as we can glean. Uh, there is a Sense Player and a Sense Player with OCR. Now, just taking a look at some of the information that's available to us online, and there is actually information about this product we can uh, find out. Uh, it is a very similar type of device to the Victor Reader in, in terms of style and design, although obviously we don't know what it feels like yet because we haven't had our hands on one. Uh, but this OCR version, for example, has got portable scanning and reading capability. Of course, it will come with a stand as well that allows you to have the Sense Player sitting so you can scan a document with it and it will read it in to your uh, device, but it also offers a lot more than that. And this is the bit that I think a lot of people have, have kind of just started learning about. You may have seen the video, uh, Humanware, I think, not Humanware, sorry, Hims on uh, Friday, I think, put up a series of videos on YouTube explaining the functionality of this. And it does sound a pretty cool device because it goes a lot further than what the Victor Reader does. In fact, you might argue they're two quite different devices. I mean, yes, they have similarities to them, and some may see the the value of the Victor Reader in in and of itself is, is just exactly what they need. But the Sense Player does offer more. Now, if I just look at the Sense Player alone, not the one with OCR, okay? So let's take the OCR out of it. Let's look at the base model, if you like, if you want to call it that. It's a multimedia player. It's a DAISY player. There is, of course, where it sits alongside your Victor Reader, as it does with the radio and podcast capability to listen to those, and a voice recorder. But it has one other feature that you don't get with the Victor Reader. And this makes it stand out a little bit. It has a tactile keyboard, of course, as you will know. It's got that typical one to nine keyboard. It's also got the arrow up, down, left and right and OK button in the middle. Uh, it's got four buttons along the top and it's got four outer buttons from the arrow keys as well, which I'm not entirely sure of what they are required for. But here's what I do know. 
uh, you can use this as a tactile keyboard for your smartphone and tablet. And that's quite different. Uh, this is something I haven't necessarily heard of before. So it says unique to the Sense Player is this smart connection function that allows you to use the tactile keyboard of the Sense Player to navigate, operate, and enter text into your smartphone. Instant tactile orientation, resulting in more effective commanding control without needing to explore your touch screen. Now, there's other stuff as well in here, of course, but that's one major feature of this, which I think is going to excite a lot of people. Um, the fact that you can control this. Now, I'm thinking immediately, just again, we, we do this, don't we? We immediately start comparing. Oh, what's this like? What does it remind me of? It reminds me of the Revo keyboard. That's what it feels like to me, just in that, that ability to connect to your, uh, you know, use the Revo keyboard to connect to your iPhone or your Android phone and control it. So that's interesting. Okay, so that's one thing. And we'll learn more about that as we get more information on this product. Um, it also has, um, as it says itself, intuitive navigation and operation with tactile keys rather than the traditional touchscreen found on many devices. That is, of course, where it sits alongside the uh, Victor Reader. But the tactile buttons are paired with haptic sound and speech feedback as well um, to provide efficient and ins instinctive operation, as it says. So I mentioned the smart connection. It also is a multi-book player, a multimedia player and book reader as well. Can read a variety of file types, including text, RTF, HTML, HTML, uh, XML. I'm reading a list here. Doc, docs, PDF, EPUBs, MP3s, MP4s. I mean, you can pretty much play anything on this thing. You can also do high quality recording as well. Uh, it's got internal stereo microphones. You could record a class lecture, as it says, a performance or capture a special moment as well in true-to-life stereo clarity with built-in stereo microphones. Or you can connect stereo mics, mixers, and other sources via USB-C. Interesting, right? So not only do you have the ability to connect a microphone to it, you could use a, a mixing console if you wanted. Some people might do that. Or you might choose to use an external... Um, I don't know, an external lavalier microphone. I use a little microphone called a Rode Wireless Go, which is a USB-C microphone, and I could connect up, that up to this kind of thing and, and use it, which would be interesting. Give me much higher quality recording. Recording a podcast or a video or whatever you might want to do. It says it's also got enhanced sound. You can listen to your books and media with precisely tuned speakers or Bluetooth and auxiliary headphones and external speakers. Whether you're reading a book or you're playing music or you're listening to a podcast, you can listen to it the way you want with the finely tuned EQ and effect options. You can also read DAISY and document content aloud using a variety of high-quality human-sounding nuance vocalizer voices in multiple languages and dialects. You've also got the built-in Wi-Fi to access online books, download services, uh, podcasts, internet, and more. No details yet, and I know that uh, Darren is particularly keen to know about the RNIB library there. No detail on that as yet. Uh, applications include uh, the file manager, the media player, the daisy player, the document reader, an FM radio as well, uh, web radio, podcasts, library services, the voice recorder, the color reader, a memo, a calculator, an alarm, a stopwatch, and a countdown timer, as many as well as other utilities and settings. And that is, I think, specific to the Sense player itself. Of course, the OCR has that additional capability with the camera on board to capture and read documents. Now, some of you I know are very keen to know about specifications, specifics of what is actually you know on the device itself. I can tell you, uh, storage is 64 gigabytes, 43 of which is available to a user. Uh, micro SD card support are, are going up to 256 gig, 
Now, remember, of course, with the humanware Victor Reader, uh, the new generation, the third generation, it will go up to one terabyte with uh, SD card storage. Um, Wi-Fi, it's got dual band, 2.4 gig and uh, 5 gigahertz. Uh, Bluetooth 5 as well. That's for audio listening and, of course, for that smart connect feature. FM radio, it has one of those as well. And uh, USB Type-C for charging and data transfer and haptic feedback. Now, the uh, audio side of things is a stereo condenser microphone. It's got the four-pole earphone jack, so I'm guessing that means we're talking the ability to have headphone and microphone uh, in one which some people didn't like on the HumanWare Victor Reader Trek when that was installed there. And, of course, as I mentioned, USB plug-and-play audio support via USB-C as well. So there's lots of interesting stuff going on there. Uh, the battery, if this appeals to you, um, you can charge via USB power adapter or your computer. Uh, it does have a 2300 milliamp battery in there, um, and its weight is 140 grams. And that's all I can tell you at the moment because we haven't been hands-on with this and hims uh, I have reached out to to talk to us and tell us all about it. But that is quite interesting to learn about all the, the features and, and stuff that is inside this new device. I must say, this one appeals because one thing I know, and this is no slight on anyone else, but I know by trying uh, hims Braille displays, the quality of craftsmanship on these are usually very high. Now, I think that's partly because, especially in the Braille lineup, they cost a lot of money. And so there's a lot, clearly a lot of you know, time and money and is invested in the style and the design. Because like all Braille displays, I think there's often a tendency for them to be built like tanks. Um, but yeah, I, I do know him's products to be built very well. In fairness, I can't say much against any other products. I find them, the Victor Reader has lasted me forever and it's very solid. So, but, but what I'm getting at is I think that the design of this is clearly going to be something that will last a long time. So really interested to hear more about it. As I say, uh, there is a video on the website on YouTube, and I'll link to that in the show notes today. If you follow us on the podcast, you can uh, go and check that out, and you'll hear from Jenny Axler from Hims, who will explain everything in way more detail. And uh, if you can see, uh, you'll be able to see the product on screen as well. Uh, so there you go. That's the uh, Hims Sense Player. No detail of prices yet either, at least not I can find. So we'll be interested to hear uh, about that when it comes along. As I say, we'll hopefully hear from Hims on the show soon. Now, to listener Kay. Uh, you might remember she had problems with her uh, Blind Shell Classic 2. Hello, this is Kay addressing the issues with the Blind Shell speakerphone. Well, of course, it would have to happen to me. I was embarrassed when I went on speakerphone on your show. It sounded pretty good. It didn't sound terrible. But trust me, the day before when I was talking to someone, it was so awful, they just couldn't understand me. But it sounded great on your show. <laughs> However, there still is an issue with the blind cell speakerphone. And I wish someone else would address it. I couldn't be the only voice in the wilderness here. When you use it, the person you're talking to comes blasting so loud that it sounds like it's going to uh, ruin your speaker. It's distorted and it's loud. So like if you're in a store 
and you're talking to someone on your speakerphone, they are so loud that everyone in the store hears this distorted, horrible, loud sound. Now, I couldn't be the only person that has this problem. Now, (laughs) I don't think I should try to show you how awful I sound when I press my speakerphone again because (laughs) it'll probably sound fine again. But anyway, there is a problem with the speakerphone, definitely. Please, someone else agree with me, please. (laughs) Thank you very much, and I love your show. Uh, Thank you, Kay. And I hope we can figure this one out for you soon. Uh, Does anyone else have this issue? Is anyone else having this problem? Uh, I'd be really interested to hear so we can solve this for Kay. Uh, Now to Chris, uh, who wants to talk about HomePods. This is Chris from Philly. Hey. I love the show, and uh, I'm glad to see that you're covering the HomePod. I have two of the original bigs, and I love them. Um, I really don't consider it a smart speaker, but uh, I'm going to listen to this Saturday show and learn more about that. But uh, yeah, they're pretty dumb, but uh, I love the sound. <laughs> I'm a music guy, and I just love what they are. Use it with our Apple TV, and uh, for our yeah, my wife's bedroom. It works splendidly. Um, yeah, thanks for the show. Uh, hope Sean gets better soon. Hashtag Sean in the shed. Hope he's uh, lounging in his shed. Uh, and I'll return soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great uh, week. Bye. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate that. I will certainly send you a message to Sean, although he probably have heard himself already. Um, yeah, the HomePods is interesting because, that you know, since the new ones have come out and since people have had a chance to play with them, a lot of uh, reports are saying they're not as good sounding as the old versions, which I must have made me quite pleased I didn't get rid of my older ones. I was thinking of selling them a while back and I'm so glad I didn't. I actually held on to them because I thought they were end of life. I thought that these are good, these are dead products, they'll never come back and because they're so good, there's nothing wrong with them. I should hold on to them and then we'll, you know, see what happens. Maybe they'll be worth money. Maybe they will still, because the other ones are so terrible. I don't know. I haven't heard the new ones. I haven't heard the new ones at all. I haven't gone into an Apple store yet to listen to them. I don't really have an intention of buying them yet, although that doesn't mean anything, as you know. But at the moment, I don't really have a need for them. And the old ones are doing the gig for me. They sound great. But yeah, go go listen to that, Chris, if you haven't already, because I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, and, and all of you would be interested to hear your thoughts on what you uh, think about the HomePods after hearing Greg's in-depth on that on Saturday. That was quite an interesting conversation. The things that he was able to make that do, and with Siri shortcuts as well added in. And we're going to talk more about th- that this week on the show, actually. We're going to talk more about what you can do with Siri shortcuts. It does seem that's the way to make your, um, well, I wouldn't say make your Mac more smart or even make Siri more smart, although you can definitely do that. But I think what's interesting is that City Shortcuts is the way to customise your system. And it kind of gives you that customization that a lot of people who use Android phones will say they love. Uh, and a lot of people who use Windows, you know, use it for that reason. They love the, the customization. So, yeah, we'll talk about all that. Uh, this week, we're going to be discussing the subject of chat GPT. It really is ramping up out there with that. And uh, we're going to find out what it means uh, we've got two guests on that show. We're going to be talking to uh, Michael Babcock, of course, regular contributor to AMI's Kelly and Ramia. But also, we'll be uh, hearing from Robin Christofferson, Lord Robin, 
of all he surveys, he'll be joining us. Uh, Jocelyn's been in touch. Good day, Mr. Stephen. And I hope Mr. Sean is starting to feel better because breaking body parts is annoying and it never works quite the same way once it's healed, no matter what they tell you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk text to speech stuff, specifically the things that we hear via audiobooks and such. Now, I love reading, but I love reading genre things, so I don't always necessarily read the stuff that I can find readily or easily available or in my public library, simply because there's a huge demand for it where I live. That's fine. I live in Manitoba. It's the middle of Canada. I have slightly different tastes than people. It happens. I love, I love that, well, I don't use Apple products because I don't like Apple products. I love that these automated voices are getting better and that we're seeing a larger drive to mainstream from it. Because I want my small printed but digital copies from university to be read to me. I want my blog posts read to me. I want the news read to me. I prefer to consume everything I can auditorily so that what vision I do have, I can then expand on the things that bring me joy. My knitting, my sewing, my crochet, my video games, my board games, going outside and using my cam and, and doing stuff and, and being out with my friends. And by offloading some of that visual responsibility to a audio format, if the only way I can get that is through a computerized AI voice, well, then let's take it. Us regular folks with voices, we've had decades to figure out how to get it done without needing AI. And if we're not going to do it, the AI will. Well, then I guess the AI is going to do it. And that's how it's going to work. So it's Justin from Winnipeg. I hope Sean feels better soon. Hashtag Get outside of the shed. Hashtag, I wish I was a Greg. Uh, to join the army of Gregs, I'm not. So here we are. I am an army of one. And if at any point in time you guys want to talk to me about using Orcam or Android primarily and not being an Apple user, a game, give me a call. Cheers. Bye. Okay. Well, I might take you up on that one, Jocelyn. That's for sure. Uh, thank you for that. And yeah, it does echo a lot of comments about AI. I feel you're absolutely right. I think it's, you know, if, if that's the only option we have, that's the option we have, and it's not a bad option. Speaking of which, here's a voicemail from Kyler. Hi team, this is Kyler Golden. Sorry if I sound a little blah. School has been getting to me lately. I just wanted to let you guys know that I found an AI text-to-speech tool that takes things to the next level. It's called Eleven Labs, and it not only analyzes the text you type, but also the context. On the starter membership, they even let you clone up to ten voices with only one minute or more of audio. The company was launched in 2022, and the service is still in beta, but the voices sound really good. Don't believe me? Well, a clone of my voice spoke this very message. Wow. <laughs> now, you might remember Kyla's voice. He was on the show before. Uh, and and well, I'm going to try and root out. I tried to find it today. I was trying to find a, a previous message from Kyla um, to play in so I could prove to you that he does sound exactly like the Kyla uh, that we've heard before. That is him. That is Kyla. Amazing. But that is where it's going. That's the terrifying reality about this artificial intelligence. It is getting so clever. The technology is so clever behind it that it can replicate voice just as it has done. Um, I think I'm finished, basically. I think once they once they add the stupidity in and the emotion to go with it, then I'm out of a job. I think Mr. F is uh, is going to save himself some cash. There you go. 
That's $10 saved, Mr. F. Um, right, look, stick around. We're going to be discussing the online safety bill. It's a big piece of legislation going through the UK Parliament at the moment. But what international implications will it have for, well, everyone, frankly, who uses the internet worldwide? We'll get into that with journalist Charlotte Henry, a writer for the edition on Substack. She joins me next. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. And we're talking now about the online safety bill that's making its way through Parliament here in the UK. And I thought it might be quite interesting to talk about this because it is ultimately a UK bill, potentially law, that is coming in. But it is going to have international ramifications. There is no doubt these social media companies that the bill is targeting are international entities. They will have impacts in the same way, for example, the EU has an impact across the world as well and is continuing to and will continue to have influence on the world's big tech companies. But what does that mean? And uh, what is this bill exactly? Well, to discuss it all and get more detail on it, I have uh, editor of the edition on Substack, Charlotte Henry, journalist out of the UK uh, with me now. Charlotte, great to have you back here on Double Tap with me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back. Great to speak, Stephen. Yeah, lovely to talk to you because this topic has been bubbling up for quite a while, in fact, for an, mm. a, a good while now in the UK. And I thought it'd be really interesting to bring this out to our Canadian audience and really give a sense, I think, not just to Canada, but to the world, what the online safety bill is in the UK, what is going on with it, and, you know, to discuss the politics of it, but also, I think, to get an understanding of how this will impact on the world and the technology world in general. So let's start off with the online safety bill. Explain mm. to us its of genesis and how it came to be from the, the UK Parliament. Yeah, so your description of it of it rumbling on for a while is is rather understated. I believe the first <laughs> time this came about, this discussion of this online harms bill, online safety bill, uh, was April 2019. Wow. So, yeah... You know, we've had multiple prime ministers and multiple culture secretaries, digital secretaries since then. So, yeah, it's been going on a while. And that, of course, plays into quite why this is such a mess. And it really is. It's been changed a huge amount of times. It's been amended. I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, backbench MPs trying to put their their ta- their you know mark on this piece of legislation. Uh, the current culture and digital secretary, Michelle Donlan, is you know desperately trying to get this passed. Finally, it's finally in the House of Lords, which is one of the final steps. Uh, but there's a House of Lords committee who's not that impressed either. There's some discussions about whether it makes the current iteration of this, which please don't. Ask me which draft we're in of this piece of legislation because I've <laughs> lost track a long, long time ago. Um, and just just to clarify for the audience as well, so the way that the, the process works in the UK mm. is that the government put forward a bill, uh, or well, I, I guess a bill comes forward to the House of Commons, of Commons and then they yeah. vote on it and then it goes to the House of Lords. And yeah, I mean, and it can go back and forth multiple yeah. times. Um, and it's this is going to be quite a long process when it gets to the Lords. Um, but there's concerns, for example, that this latest iteration makes the culture secretary powerful and actually undermines Ofcom, which is an independent regulator. Mm. Um, and there's also been quite a lot of controversy around this idea of legal but harmful, which has been in the bill at various points and out at various points. Um, and that's one of the key parts of the conversation. So, which, you know, this idea that 
there might be content that's not very pleasant, but technically under the law as it stands is legal. What do we do about that? Um, the, the laws also want a reinstatement that there's a requirement for social media companies to do a risk assessment on content. And one of the biggest things that exercised Tory MPs, backbench MPs that the government had to concede on to avoid defeat, there's about 50 MPs that really wanted it in the legislation that tech bosses and tech managers could get two years in prison if they failed to stop children seeing harmful uh, content online. So not just massive fines and the fines proposed in the legislation up to 10% of global revenue. Um, but they wanted it actually that, you know, senior figures within tech companies, if there are failures within their company, um, they could actually go to prison for a couple of years. Which is- so, so they want someone in Facebook to be held responsible for child pornography or um, abuse, videos around abuse or whatever it might be, especially around children. They want them to go to jail. How are they ever going to enforce that's that exactly, from the UK? That's exactly right. I guess I don't. The problem part of this is there's been a lot of not very specific language being discussed during all of this. It, you know, they're still fighting for a lot of definitions as this is progressing. So it's a great question to ask. I can't pretend I know the definitive answer. I'm not convinced anyone does, but. The Conservative MPs were really keen that there was some level of personal culpability and liability included in this legislation. And uh, that is similar in Ireland. There was a similar piece of legislation in Ireland, as I understand it, that introduced this as well. So that was quite an important thing that got back into the bill. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because obviously you have the the local politics, the UK politics, in Mm -hmm. a sense, which is, as you say, that the power of Ofcom is diminished, Ofcom being the equivalent of the CRTC in Canada. And it's really interesting to kind of understand how this this is going to work, because if you say if this makes the culture secretary more powerful, that is, of course, an interesting political take. But I think for most of our listeners and most of the world, frankly, this is much wider uh, uh, consequence. And I think that most reasonable people would agree and have said for years that something needs to be done to regulate content on the internet. But can it really come from a single country when this is a global issue? Well, the, the thing is, I don't think it is coming from a single country. I think numerous countries, I mentioned a piece of legislation in Ireland. There are obviously more and more companies taking a look at these issues. Sorry, countries taking a look at these in, these issues and trying to hold the, these huge tech giants accountable for what happens on their platforms. Which, again, you know, is a reasonable request. It's a reasonable thing to to ask. I mean, for years there has been the discussion, and I'm sure you've reported on it as well, of who is actually responsible for the content that exists on these platforms. The social media companies for years, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, of course, famously sat in front of the Congress in in America and said, look, this is we're just a content machine. People create Mm -hmm. content. We essentially are a, a shop window for it. But that's not really true, is it? That's not really the case. These companies wield the power through their algorithms, through the delivery of the content to the end user. Well, you're right to say that these are hugely powerful companies. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg refused, I'm sure you remember, to turn up to the British Parliament, to the Culture Select Committee. He sent a few quite senior, but far more junior than him, people that I remember sitting in that room. They were not happy, that committee. Um, But yeah, they've basically... They've always denied they're a publisher, haven't they? This is what's been going yes, on for yeah. years. They've always denied they are a publisher. They've always said they're a platform. 
And, you know, now the British Parliament, Parliament, you know, the EU is getting interested in this, isn't it? Ireland, I've mentioned, are, are starting to want these companies to be accountable. There was, for some context uh, in Britain, there was a really tragic story of a teenager called Molly Russell, who, who, I mean, it's awful, she, she committed suicide. And one of the reasons attributed to it was some of the content she'd seen on social media. And that really um, played into a lot of the debate here in the UK. You know, even the coroner cited as one of the reasons for her, for her taking her own life was some of the stuff she had seen online. And so there are very good reasons to worry about this. But you obviously you also have to this go back to that legal but harmful issue. You also have to deal with what consult, consenting adults see and be very clear about the differentiation between that and what children see. But th- this is the problem. And, and you know, that, that example you give is, is crucial because this is the problem, that children are seeing this harmful material. It's not, I mean, yes, there are also children involved in this harmful material as well, which is even worse. In some regards, because, you know, there are children being abused and that is being put on video and that is being shared on the Internet. And, you know, it's it's being made available. There's also, frankly, some very harmful content out there just generally. And you do not have to, to go far to see it. You really don't. Mm. Um, you can spend five minutes on Facebook, as I've done. I have done this. I've been on Facebook and you go into this what I call the doom scroll video spiral, where you go through these videos that seem to just continually roll from one to the next, from one to the next. The other night, I came across one in amongst a feed of, uh, you know, people who might know the Graham Norton show. (laughs) There's a lot of Graham Norton show clips on there. Yes. And and in amongst that, I get a video where a a guy slaps a girl. And it's pretty horrendous to see. Mm. And I think to myself, hang on, how did that end up in amongst all this? And by me watching or seeing that video and being horrified on it, which means I didn't swipe as quickly as I would have liked, does that mean it's going to serve up more of it? And this is the problem. Now, I'm, a, I'm a grown adult. I can handle it. I can move on. But if you're a child seeing that, that is going to impact you. Right. And that's one of the big things in this bill that, yeah, you know, that wouldn't come under legal but harmful because obviously assault is not legal. That's right. Yeah. But which make you know again you might question how on earth did that get there yeah um but and define yes, and s- define harmful and harmful to who right i mean that's the other side well again that this is one of the things that's going on with this legislation that the language is so difficult to pin down and, th- and that's the issue isn't it the human impact is kind of being forgotten because of the politics in this which is often the case in our world today everything is so politicized instantly the right has a view on this they'll be saying this is all about decrying free speech and stopping free speech and free expression. And, you know, there are multiple instances where, you know, you could say, well, okay, there are clearly ambiguities and there is nuance in all of this. But ultimately, this is about making an internet safer. But how do you make the internet safe? And this question hasn't, I don't think, ever been answered properly. And I don't know if we ever can answer this question because of the open nature of the platform. Yeah, I mean, answering that question is for people far, far, far more intelligent than me. I, it's just, it's an almost impossible, you know, way to thing to navigate, isn't it? This global, and also you and I both know, right? If that harmful material, that vile material, somehow removes itself from Facebook, we know that it's on other places on the internet. You know, yeah. I, I appreciate that those places take more searching for. And there is a great big difference between bits of the dark web and 
some of the most popular platforms in the world. But we know just not seeing it on Facebook or TikTok doesn't mean it's gone away, don't we? I'm, you know, let's be clear about that. Um, you mentioned the politics of it. I thought I'd chuck in also uh, what the Labour Party, the opposition party here in the UK think, which is actually they're criticising parts of it because they think, for example, uh, the scope of the regulator Ofcom is too narrow. So that's the, one of the ways they're criticising this piece of legislation as and well. And that has been said for many years, hasn't it, that, that, that actually Ofcom is an organisation in the UK that, that oversees our communications and, and communication mm-hmm. regulation. Is, is just It doesn't have any teeth. It, it often is criticised for not having teeth, but also sometimes, as you well know, sometimes people criticise it for getting involved in too many things, and sometimes people criticise it for not getting involved in things. It's <laughs> well, a bit it of a messy one. depends where you one. sit on the, the aisle, yeah. I guess, on that one, yeah. And all, well, it depends on the incident as well that we're yeah. dealing with, but these things are never clear-cut, are they? No, and that's ultimately the challenge in all of this. Um, what, what are the fears that you're hearing? I mean, you know, especially from the the opponents of this because there do seem to be a lot of opponents and and some of the arguments that i hear on television in the uk that they're the pretty standard issue free speech arguments which i i'm not entirely uh, you know discounting i mean there's there's a, a concern around speech at the moment worldwide i think there's there's an endless debate around what is appropriate and what isn't um, and that's one thing that comes up as a, a result of this, because essentially, as soon as you say there's any kind of censorship potentially coming our way, um, that that topic seems to to pop up. And I imagine that other topics pop up too. I'm just wondering what you've been hearing. Yeah, well, I I think that free speech argument really is one of the things to focus on, because you can see a set of circumstances where, say, something difficult but actually educational is suddenly has to be moderated or moderators think it has to be or particularly if it's not a human moderator who can make the difference between something that's you know nasty and something that's educational on a difficult topic yeah um so i think that issue of freedom of speech and free expression and you know perhaps the education element is quite important to bear in mind because as we know these things get swept up by moderating algorithms. Sometimes they get to the human moderating team. But this can get quite messy. And people who are trying to do, have, posting legitimate content, you know, you and I may not sit, to, sit and watch it for various reasons. But, you know, we may not want to consume it for various reasons. But it's legitimate to be on the platform can disappear. And I think that's really something to be aware of because these kind of sweeping pieces of legislation often have unintended consequences. They might have the good effects that the government wants and the politicians want, but it can equally be, you know, as I say, unintended consequences is something we always have to look out for when with things like this, isn't it? I, I get a lot of comments from our listeners regarding the European Union and the impact mm. that it is having on technology, the technology sector. You know, whether the iPhone 15 will have a USB-C connector at the bottom of it might be because of the European Union. And there are a lot Indeed. of people who don't like that and some people who do like it, obviously. But, you know, there are some people who feel that in some ways it's a little bit of overreach. Why are they involving themselves in our business over here? And I wonder, are you hearing similar vibes from from other countries regarding this particular legislation? Well, of course, you're asking on a very funny week about the EU because this is the third anniversary of Britain actually formally leaving the European Union. That well-known success story. Uh, No comment. Um, (laughs) But... But but 
it is interesting that the EU has always been interested in these tech topics. Yeah. Um, we should remember that, of course, pretty much all the major tech companies you could think of have bases within the UK, often Ireland, but not always. Sorry, within the EU, as I say, often Ireland, but not always. And so they have quite legitimate reasons to be looking at these companies. But yeah, it, you know, things like competition, the example you leave, you give of iPhone chargers, because we all need to buy some more cables for our iPhone, is quite an interesting one to watch. Um, and so, yeah, it, they're clearly going to be interested in a topic like this as well. I wonder how much, because um, I talk a lot on this show about personal responsibility in every aspect of life. I feel we should be sure. more, we should be seen to be more responsible. And when it comes to content online, I still feel we're a little bit naive mm. as to how content is viewed and the fact that it is viewed. I'll give you a, a, a personal example. So a friend of mine, uh, well, not obviously name names, but a friend of mine has three children and is forever putting pictures up of the kids in various <laughs> guises and whatever else. And, and when one of the kids was quite young, she had a picture of the, the child up in the bath. And I don't know them that well, but I knew them well enough to say, you know, you might want to take that down because look i know it sounds a bit weird coming from me because i don't have children and all the rest of it and i'm an adult but you have to realize that this is going out to the public now the way i described it to this person was look can you imagine sitting on a bus and someone walks up to you who you don't know uh maybe a big older guy who's particularly un you know unwashed and he sits down next to you on a bus which isn't an unusual experience in britain and mm -hmm. sits down to you, next to you and starts talking to you and then pulls out a picture of your child and says, hey, your kid's lovely. That is essentially the result of social media. Let's be honest. I mean, you people you don't know are viewing your content and could potentially like or not like it. Y yes, of course. I mean... Again, and I think that's you know, a fundamental conversation we need to have. Oh, isn't you're it? quite right. You're quite right. People don't understand perhaps quite how easy it is to find other people's Facebook content, Instagram pictures, Twitter posts, whatever, whatever, whatever. You're, you're absolutely right about that. And that's, as you say, a kind of tech literacy issue. Um, and, you know, I suggest that people younger than you and I are probably more literate in those things than... Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah, that's another topic. Because I yeah. think that is an issue. But yeah. yeah, there's also an element of personal responsibility. But that that isn't quite what this legislation is dealing with. It it's dealing with, you know, in particular in the case of teenagers, and I cited that really tragic case of Molly, Molly Russell, where, you know, you get a bit trapped down a wormhole, or, uh, you know, the rabbit hole of, you described doom scrolling before, and that's absolutely right, where the algorithm keeps feeding you this very difficult, upsetting content. And I think that's really one of the things, particularly for younger, for younger users, that this aims to, to break. But Equally, your example goes back to what I'm saying of, you know, things that could be moderated, even though they're perfectly legitimate. Mm. And you raised some very good points why you may not want to put it, but there's nothing against platform rules or whatever else about putting a nice picture of your child online. So I, I want to be clear on this. I'm not conflating the two. I, I absolutely mm. see where you're coming from. You're talking about material which is being created, essentially, and is, you know, is illegal. Is illegal right. material that no, is but, making its way into the public space and that can be seen by, and, and not even illegal in some cases, but very harmful. The point I wanted to make about the example you gave was you might want to share a lovely picture of your child with relatives abroad, say, who can't, don't get to see that child regularly. Yeah. But 
you know, there is always a, a risk, if you like, that some kind of algorithmic moderator or even a human moderator might flag that up as an issue. Yeah. But, and that may become more prescient under this kind of legislation where, you know, the tech companies are more twitchy about what goes out on their platform. Yeah. And I think that's what what I'm getting at with my point is that I think it's about the responsibility of us to be aware of that. Because yes. it's, it's not that – because I think oftentimes the discussion around this particular legislation comes back to, well, th- that does that mean I can't put a picture of my child up on the internet? Well, okay, maybe let's throw that question back at you and say – Do you want to, yeah. Do you want to do that? Do you really think that's an appropriate – way to do it when there are so many other methods you could use to send that picture to a family member in a far-flung place you do not have to stick it on a, the front page of a local newspaper and that's yeah no i think the problem i think i think well, that's right problems. with all sorts of things you know it doesn't have to be that example you can be tweeting something or revealing something on instagram that shows your location yeah yeah like all this stuff yes there and, is and always you don't a have need to sh- for a person. And, and you don't have to share every single thought you have in your mind either oh i don't know about that <laughs> Listen, I'm a journalist and a writer. You know I do. But that's but that you're a professional in your field. But many people are not, and frankly, they just <laughs> love to open their gob and say things because they feel, and you know, in some cases, it's because no one else will listen to them, or they have no one else to talk to. So they talk online and they feel they're talking to friends, but actually they're talking, to, and then they get horrified when they get response and kickback. So I think we have to take some responsibility. But I think there's another group that we have to think about when it comes to responsibility, and that's parents themselves, and. I think the argument is slowly going away because there was a, a, a problem years ago, I feel, when, when this new technology came along. Children very quickly pick up on this technology, as mm. often they will. And they were well aware of how to access things. And I, can only, I, I can't even imagine what it must be like to be a parent today with children at school with smartphones. I didn't have a smartphone at school. I'm not going to judge on your side. You can decide if you want to reveal that or not. I didn't have any at school, that's for sure. Um, and you know, I didn't even know a phone at school. You know, we had a school. We had a okay, phone in the office. Steven, do you do you want to know what phone I had at school? <laughs> Stand line. by for this. I had a Nokia thirty two ten. Okay. Oh, you had more I, than me. Wow. It was all about Snake when I was at school. Okay. Oh, I, d- I didn't even have Snake. Oh, come on. Honestly, I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. <laughs> we had a landline phone, and that was about it. Uh, you couldn't take that to class with you. Uh, but nowadays, of course, they do have these phones and they can take them everywhere. And I know that there's, that schools are trying to clamp down on that, and I, I get all that. But equally, I think it's time that parents start learning about parental controls and putting restrictions on the phones. Because I think the companies, Apple have certainly done it, Google have done it, where they've implemented lots of features that parents can use. And I don't know how many of those features are actually activated. And that's another part of the personal responsibility. As a parent... You do have a responsibility for your child, and I think it's important that you do look into – I mean, it's not as if there's not any resources out there. Most of these parents are spending most of their day sitting staring at screens as well. Well, look, instead of sitting on Instagram or on Etsy or whatever else you're doing, actually spend some time reading into parental controls and how to restrict your children's view on what is out there in the world. Yeah, and uh, Apple, I mean, your point about Apple is very well made. I don't know so much about the Google, you know, Google or Android phones, but I'm sure there are plenty of uh, parental controls in there. But I know Apple is taking this pretty seriously. Amazon too, in fairness, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. And But Apple is the example I know best and yeah. has, uh, over recent years, really implemented some uh, quite serious parental controls. And they don't strike me as particularly different, difficult uh, to implement if you're so inclined. 
I agree. It's, uh, or, uh, but of, I mean, your point is right. You've got to know about them first. And that's, and that's it. And I think there was a time where it was difficult to find information and maybe the resources weren't there, maybe the, if the features weren't there, but they are mm. now. And I think it's time that everybody just took... And I, I'm not saying this will solve anything necessarily, but it might begin a tide of turning. If, if your child is spending all day and all night in front of a screen, that's not great. And no, it, I, I know it's difficult for parents because everybody wants to be on it and everyone else is on it. And I get that. I think, was it Kate Winslet that said recently she would not, her, she said, I have to be the bad mum here. She said, I've got to be the one that says no. Yeah. I mean, turning back to our original conversation about the legislation as well, because I think it does, yeah, there is only so much a piece of legislation can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know, hopefully it comes in in a, cohesive way that doesn't cause a complete mess and you know it actually does some of the good things it wants to do as opposed to some of the bad side effects that it's very possible this type of legislation will implement you know bring in um but equally yes you're right we do all have to have a level of personal responsibility whereby we know what our devices can and can't do and yeah particularly that's true when you're dealing with children who have devices for very good reasons. You know, a kid getting on a bus to school, it's not a bad thing that they have a phone to be able to contact friends and parents whilst on that journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what else is going on? So yeah, you, your point about personal responsibility and parental responsibility is well made. Uh, this legislation, in my view anyway, it, I would have thought this really needs to, you know, be, be like an ocean liner, you know, smashing into the sea as opposed to a, a stone dropping into a pond, right? It's got to have impact for this to work. At least then they can taper it back if they need to. And I think it has to be like that because otherwise it's, it's, if it has very little teeth, then it's useless. It's not going to do anything, right? So it, it kind of needs to hit with a splash, I would have thought. I mean, if you're the government, that's certainly what you want. I, I return to my original point that it's basically gone back and forward so many times that I think there's, a, you know, however many times they've kind of tried to start again or whatever, there's a huge risk it becomes just a mess and in various ways unimplementable. And is that what you think will happen? Do you think that's the end result? Look, I, I have learnt over the years of being a journalist never to make predictions because my predictions are invariably absolutely terrible. Um, but I think with anything like this and with anything like the internet, which by definition is global, is, you know, not particularly, is not one coherent thing, is it? You're not regulating a financial sector or the mm. retail sector. You know, it's a bit of a amorphous blob, isn't it, the internet? You have to be, it's, it's very difficult to but be it's, in it's control of... But it's there in terms of the level of importance, isn't it? Oh, it's arguably one of the most important or the most important thing in the world, you know, given <laughs> connections, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our whole society runs on the internet now in one way or the other. All the different industries I just named don't exist, can't function without the internet. So it's the centrepiece of everything. But that, again, makes it almost more difficult to regulate in any way. The UK is heading for a general election. There could be a change of government. There may not. Who knows? But I wonder, based on what you've heard from Labour, if Labour were to be in power, do you think this legislation would be tougher and might actually well, succeed in its aim? I I truly don't know. It's hard to say when uh, the opposition party, by definition, is always going to oppose something. You know, Lucy Powell at one point said that the 
changes in the bill indicated the prime minister was quote unquote his showed his quote unquote weakness i mentioned what labor thought about ofcom that they thought that it's uh its scope was too narrow under the yeah, legislation that's interesting here is my guess if labor as they look like they will win the next election they're not going to touch this piece of legislation unless it's been a complete you know demonstrable disaster my guess is they wouldn't touch come back to this tricky issue again. I just don't see why they would expend time and political capital on it, but who knows. Charlotte, it's always fascinating uh, talking to you, getting the insight and, and giving our audience a, a real understanding of what is happening here in the UK, because this particular story is not a UK story. It is very much going to become an international story. So thank yeah. you for sharing your, your thoughts. Tell people how they can read more of your Thoughts. <laughs> uh, my, my uh, yes. Well, if you can still get on the internet, I'm at the edition. <laughs> yes, the ad, and it's addition, isn't it? Add yeah, exactly it's not the ed, edition. Yeah. dot com. A double d and at Charlotte A Henry on Twitter. So do come join me there. Charlotte Henry, thank you so much for coming on. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be interested in your feedback. You can get in touch as always. Feedback at doubletaponair.com or you can call. Our listener line, one 803 4567 We're back tomorrow. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.